Welcome to Spot Growth, the podcast dedicated to pediatric speech, physical, and occupational therapists. We explore strategies, insight, and success stories to help you elevate your practice. Join us as we spot growth together. Welcome to the Spot Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Marshall, with Extra Mile Billing, and today we'll be discussing SLPA supervision requirements in Florida. I also want you to stay tuned until the end because we have an exciting update about a potential Medicaid rate increase. So make sure to grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and enjoy the conversation. Our guest today is Debbie Campbell, uh, the owner and president of Superior Therapy Services, as well as the chair of Flash's Medicaid Reimbursement Committee. Debbie, welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Hey. So uh, I know SLPA supervision is very near and dear to your heart, and you really campaigned for years uh, to address the shortfalls that we had in Florida. So could you just explain kind of in a nutshell uh, what you and Charlene Westman and some of the others did um, to kind of complete that campaign and bring it to a close? Absolutely. So prior to the rule change, the requirement was a speech assistant had to be in the building with a speech pathologist 100% of the time, requiring 100% direct on-site supervision. And what when the rule was originally created, it was not meant to be something that was for a duration. Um, they assumed speech assistants would be practicing for prolonged periods of time. So our goal, which we achieved, was to make it that way once therapists showed a level of proficiency, they would no longer require 100% direct on-site supervision. So the rule changed, created a protocol to allow experienced SLPAs to practice and work um, at a site that's not where the other SLPA is located. Um, so they could go into homes, they could be in a clinic while a SLP is in a different clinic. If it was a school, you could have a SLPA at a different site than the SLP. Got it. So I've often heard you guys say, like, fundamentally, nothing really changed, although you did make a change. So I, I guess, you know, I'm not a clinician. I speak some of your language, not all of your language. So I just want to make sure I understand supervision fully. So what actually changed from before and after? Well, let's start with what didn't change. And you're right. The the on-the-job training component is still required. The on-the-job training component is where an SLPA has to de- determine, um, not determine, they have to demonstrate competency to be able to start practicing. So that step did not change. Requiring that an SLP do supervisory visits at certain intervals, that did not change. The big change was once a speech assistant could demonstrate a true level of proficiency at performing their job, then their licensed speech pathologist that they're assigned to can put them under what's called protocol. And in that protocol, it basically spells out what tasks they can and cannot do with an SLP not doing direct on-site supervision, aka being in the same location together. That's okay. the only thing that changed. That that makes a little more sense to me. So I guess my question off of that is, where do does the board come up with the protocols, or does the SLP come up with the protocols, or is it a combination? So we created a protocol that. Um, where it came out of is we took the scope of practice for a speech assistant, and that scope of practice is embedded in the protocol. So the speech pathologist who is attached to that SLPA's license sits down and fills out the protocol form, and they go over every single thing within their scope of practice 
that the SLP is approving for them to do. And so that protocol form is found on the board's website. You print it out, you sign it. After you go over it with your the speech pathologist, the speech assistant, go over that form, and then both people sign that form, and it's good for one year. And that gotcha. basically is very clear about spelling out what a speech assistant can and cannot do without an SLP in the building. Um, the other thing of what was another unique part of it was because your supervisory is um, done during uh, via synchronous communication. The other component to that is we allowed for additional SLPs to provide that synchronous um, type of supervision. So you can have an SLP um, licensee um, supervising them and you can have more than one to do it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and if, if our listeners can hear that in the background, there is a little bit of construction going on, uh, which is a totally sidebar uh, conversation because Debbie's clinic uh, got hit by a tornado in October. And uh, so they're doing some massive repairs. Uh, and actually, this is a perfect use case for SLPA supervision because not everybody can be in the building at the same time. So we don't have a building because <laughs> you don't have a building. So. We don't have a building. So we're doing all of our supervisions with the, our SLPAs are being done virtually. Um, we do um, video conference calls. So we go um, and can zoom in with the speech assistants, whether they're in the home, if they're at a park, um, if they're doing telehealth, we um, do virtual supervision. And thank gotcha. goodness the rules available to us right now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So virtual supervision, um, which I'm assuming also includes signing off on their notes. So how does, absolutely. how is that changed? That did not change at all. A, a, okay. It says right in the, um, so when you look at the rules, there's three main rules. And the very first one, which is the on-the-job training rule, that rule specifically states that an SLP cannot um, have an SLPA sign anything um, autonomously. If an SLPA signs something, an SLP has to countersign it from yeah. daily notes to progress notes. If a parent says, hey, can you write me a letter to show my attendance? The SLP has to countersign anything an SLPA does. Wow. Okay. And this is very different than what happens for a PTA or a Correct. CODA. They don't have any of this kind of uh, supervisory requirements. I mean, they have, they have some, but they have their own. But this right. is just and for the SLPAs. Correct. Ours is defined by licensure. There are certain insurance companies that require co-signatures. So you have insurance companies that might be requiring it for a physical therapy assistant. But for speech assistants, it's a licensure rule that does that requirement. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So... Okay, so I'm just trying to understand. You can you can sign these notes. Um, you're doing. You can do virtual. You can do in person. When it comes to the protocol, does the SLPA have to? Uh, do you have to certify them on every line in the protocol, or just the things that they're treating for? So what's going to happen is on that protocol form, there's going to be all these different boxes that they have to check off that they're going to be marking. It's basically a laundry list of the scope of practice. And you're okay. saying, I approve, and you're just going to be approving all the things that they can do. In all honesty, I have pretty much for the speech assistants that I put under protocol, um, I have one, her name is Emily. She's been practicing for, well, I don't want to age her, I don't know, let, let's say over 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's been practicing for a darn long time. So her protocol, I pretty much approved everything on the protocol form. There's nothing that I am uncomfortable with Emily doing. Now, sure. I might have a speech assistant who is new to the field, maybe has nine months under their belt where they've been getting that direct on-site supervision. So when I move them to the protocol, where now the supervision can be done 
at a distant location or via, you know, virtual supervision. Um, in that situation, I might approve them to do articulation therapy, language therapy, but I go, mm, we need more training on that AAC component. So I might yeah. put right on that protocol, comfortable with our tick, comfortable with language, but um, working with an AAC device, mm, you still need direct on-site supervision for that. And that's what that form is so significant for. It really spells out and it's highly clear between assistant and SLP what they can and can't do. And that's what you write on that form. Now, just to make a note, that form does not go to the board. That form is an in-house form, meaning you have to have it filled out. You have to keep it in your file. If the board questions, are you doing something wrong? You better have it on hand, signed, and then you send it to the board. But you fill the form out and you keep it in, in-house unless the board requests it from you. So it doesn't get gotcha. mailed anywhere. So you is this something that you just look at once or is it like an every five years requirement or once you certified it every year? Nope. Once every, every year. year. The form okay. specifically states it is good from one year from the time that you fill it out. Got so it. if I have a person who's continually employed with me, annually we're gonna fill that form out. The other thing too is if somebody leaves your employment, you make you also write in that form, so and so this you know, the protocol is no longer valid. They left on blah blah day protocols off the table. And that becomes really important because somebody cannot, if I have an SLPA who switched jobs, their new SLP linked to their license has to fill that form out. The, 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 um, liability for being under protocol falls to the licensed speech pathologist who is signed up with the state for that SLPA. It's not the business owner. It's not the school. It's not the site. It literally is the SLP gets to determine competency and proficiency, not anybody else. Got it. Okay. So if you have two SLPs in your business, how many SLPAs can you can you also have in that business working under those two SLPs? That rule did not change. If you are a SLP, you can have two full-time SLPAs or three part-time SLPAs and no more. Now you can have under your li- and that's again that's in the rule and it's under your license. So as an under the protocol, if you have um, an SLP who is your primary SLP, you know SLP supervisor, you're allowed to have another one still act on that protocol and be available for virtual um, synchronous communication. And we highly recommend that. If I go on vacation and I'm unavailable, you should have a backup SLP that you can reach via synchronous communication. Or if I'm homesick with the flu, probably not going to answer my phone. You sh- sure. On that protocol, there's a space for a backup SLP to have that virtual synchronous communication. Got it. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So that's what provides the redundancy is they do allow space for the backup SLP. Okay. Correct. And so something I want to clarify in that, when you look at the rule, it says you have one primary SLP for an SLPA for their first year that they work right? For that very mm-hmm. first year that they're working as an SLPA. The protocol, and so if under that first year they go under protocol, you still have your primary SLP, but that form still allows for a backup SLP to be able to be available for that synchronous, synchronous communication. It doesn't matter that that backup person, they're not necessarily on your license um, through the state of Florida, because mm-hmm. basically we just want to make sure that that SLPA, if they're out in the field, they have somebody else that they can reach out to if their primary is unavailable. Got it. Okay. So that, I think, I think that really does clarify it for me because now, now I understand, you know, what's meant by the protocol, what changed. Uh, that's, that's all super clear. Um, 
so really, I, I really appreciate that because I think that brought a lot of clarity uh, for myself and, and especially for OT and PT office owners who also have speech uh, at their office and they maybe haven't read the rule for themselves because I think you you figured out that even speech therapists haven't all read the rule for themselves. Yeah. Well, um, and there's one thing yeah. I wanted to mention. So really the way I try to put it in a nutshell, when an SLPA who's never ever been an SLPA before, when they first come to a job, they do on-the-job training, in which case they're only training. So they're with an SLP 100% of the time and they're training, but then they show that they're competent. And then when they're competent, they move to the next level, which is now you start seeing clients and you have to be in the same building as the SLP, but you can have your own caseload and the SLPA has to have the same caseload. But then you meet the next threshold, which is proficiency. And when they are not just competent, but they're showing that they're really proficient and you're so comfortable with that level that you feel like you don't have to be in the building with them. That's when you move to protocol. And I try to clarify that because people say, well, then what's the difference? difference. You know, somebody can be competent, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're proficient. And Got once it. you get to a proficiency level, I don't have to be in that building with you because you're going to be able to soar and fly on your own. You're Got still going to have that person overseeing you, but you're definitely proficient. Yeah. And that and that makes so much sense, especially for people who decide to make a career out of, you know, being uh, an SLPA, a CODA, a PTA, like you, some people just choose that that's the path that they want to take. So to have that option for them is just got to be, I mean, it's a huge game changer. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to do before we uh, before we go is just give everybody a quick update uh, on the results from our Medicaid rate hike committee, uh, which has been meeting since, gosh, September 2022. So over a year now. Um, so survey after survey, which I hope some of our listeners have participated in. Uh, we have sat down with uh, with lawmakers, legislators, across the state, up in Tallahassee, um, and, the, and the whole committee has been been active on this. So it's, you know, it's not the two of us. It's it's a whole team of folks and, and everybody just contributes when and where they can. But uh, some really exciting updates. So the, uh, the Healthcare Appropriations Committee, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, but the Healthcare Appropriations Committee uh, at the Florida uh, State Senate has unanimously voted to move forward with a Live Healthy initiative that actually provides some meaningful general revenue increases for speech, OT, and, and PT line items as part of that of that bill. So um, now, now that's gone through them, it still has to pass a couple of hurdles. It's got to go through the, the Florida House. It's got to go to the governor to get signed off on. But, um, you know, one of the one of the good you know, positive pieces of news here is that it is a, you know, it's a, it's a Republican controlled government and it was brought by Republican legislators. So that's a, that's a positive note. I mean, you know, if maybe if it was brought from the other side of the aisle and not to get political about anything, it's just, you know, it may have experienced more pushback, but uh, we're glad to see both sides working together to do something that is, you know, really valuable, really needed. And it seems like they're both really on board with it. And it's exciting. And and I'm going to do my flash a plug here, yeah. <laughs> which do is it. also, you know, people always say like, hey, what is Flasha doing for me? Why should be a member? Well, yeah. you just heard what we did. We spent two and a half years getting this world changed, which That's completely right. changes our profession. That was two and a half years of volunteer work to get a rule change. So that way we now have so much more flexibility to practice. And now you're we're talking about a, a rate increase. And that did not happen autonomously. That was a group of people, a huge membership trying to get an increase to our um, 
our all of our professionals in the state yeah. of Florida, speech pathologists, PTs, OTs. So again, we always say, please join your, your organization. Please join FLASHA. You may not think that we're doing things, but behind the scenes, trust me, we are, are changing our profession for the good and we are more powerful with the more voices that we have. So I yeah, encourage people absolutely. to join FLASHA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't plug it enough. And your, you know, your dollars are going towards something. Absolutely. 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 So thank you, Debbie. Uh, You brought a lot of clarity for us Um, to our listeners. uh, Please be sure to keep checking back with us for more updates on the Medicaid rate hike, uh, the Medicaid contract recompete that's going on right now. Uh, We're going to have some updates for you on the step up for student scholarship, um, all these in upcoming episodes. So thank you, Debbie. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Spot Growth Podcast. If you enjoyed the discussion, please leave us a review. And if you have any ideas for topics that you'd like to learn more about, please send those to the podcast link at extramilebilling.com.